0: So 1 Timothy chapter 4, and again, beginning at verse 9, it says, that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Keep in mind that as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy... He says that, Timothy, I urge you to stay in Ephesus as I went to Macedonia. He's commissioned Timothy to pastor this church here in Proconsular Asia. And as we saw that Paul writing to Timothy, inspired by the Spirit of God, that he says, Timothy, I'm writing to you that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So Father, as we study your truth here, that we know that there's something here for all of us, very important um, exhortations given to us. So I pray that we would remember that, just to turn those ringers off the phone, that we can focus and, Lord, concentrate and be attentive to your word, that you would take it, and not only our spiritual ears being open, but our heart being soft before you, that we might hear from you and then take your word and, and work it in our hearts that it might be worked out in our lives. So thank you that we're here. Lord, teach us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we moved into chapter four last time, Paul is doing just that. He's instructing Timothy, continues to do so and will till the end of the epistle. uh, And he's telling them, here's not only your conduct, Timothy, but here's order and priority in the church. And I charge you to teach no other doctrine. Uh, That's a major theme that we see in 1 and 2 Timothy. Make sure that you continue in sound doctrine. Teach no other doctrine. There are those who have given themselves over to fables and to myths and um, not godly edification. There are those who teach the law. They have no implications in what it is that they're teaching. So Timothy, you're going to have to give sound doctrine you're going to have to confront those who are bringing in this, this false teaching. And we also know that it is Paul that said that I charge you that it's a battle. It's going to be hard. Timothy, you must wage the good warfare. Fight the good fight of the Spirit. And then in chapter 2, here's order in the church. That is, here's the role in, of men and women. In the corporate meeting of believers, chapter 3, here's the qualifications of leadership for the bishop, for the overseer, also for the deacon. And, and as we moved into chapter 4 last week, Paul gives this warning to Timothy that the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. They're going to be given heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So, Timothy, you need to warn, and this is going to happen, and as we find ourselves in latter times today moving forward we're going to see this taking place more and more in the church so Timothy if you instruct the brethren in these things you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ and we end it with Paul saying in verse 8 that bodily exercise profits little and again to get a proper perspective of what is being said here nothing wrong with exercising you know taking care of ourselves our bodies are the temple of God, I want to take care of myself, eat healthy, uh, exercise. I, I want to take care of myself. So as long as the Lord has me here, I can continue to minister. So we all want to take care of ourselves. But he's saying, here's the perspective. That bodily exercise profits little. That is, that on this side of eternity, our bodies are eventually going to wear out, unless the Lord raptures us. But our bodies will wear out. Our bodies are temporary. This life is temporary Uh, on this side of eternity. That is, we're just pilgrims that are passing through. And the priority for all of us, and now it's going to be the emphasis uh, as we finish the chapter, is that we are to give ourselves and prioritize to exercise godliness, which is eternal. So as we pick up our text once again in this exhortation that he's going to continue to build upon, that let's read again in verse 9. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance for this in we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. So we labor. It's the only time I believe in this epistle where Paul says we. We labor. We strive. Uh, That word means to agonize we are striving it's not a fleshly thing these are things that we can do to to exercise godliness it is to be a priority Uh, and we do that because we put our trust in Jesus Christ we put our hope in Jesus Christ we can't pursue godliness because our hope is not in ourselves our hope is not in another person Our hope is not in some philosophy of life. Our hope is not in this world. There are people around us that aren't believers. They're always looking for the the new hope, the latest thing. What's the answer, you know, what's the meaning of life and all of this? But we have a real hope We have a living hope because we believe in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially to those who believe. In other words, Jesus went to the cross. He shed his blood on that cross for forgiveness of sin to make atonement for our sins. And as we come in faith, believing that he died for my sins, that he truly is Lord and Savior because he rose from the grave, he's alive, then we are saved as we come in faith. And as we learn in chapter 2, Paul writes, in verse 4 of this epistle that God's desires that all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now we know not all will give themselves and come to believe in Jesus Christ, but that's God's desire. And to those who believe in him and receive the knowledge of the truth, the gospel message are saved. We have the greatest news to give to somebody that's ever been declared in the history of this world. That Jesus Christ came and died for you, for your sins, and he rose from the grave, and he's alive, and he can be your savior, and he can be your Lord as you come to him personally, because he is the Lord of all lords. He is the savior of the world. So we know that Romans chapter 10 declares to us in verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So Paul here, he's saying, listen, that we labor, we strive, because we are saved, and we are to exercise godliness, and in our lives we strive in all kinds of different areas of our lives. It might be you who are a student up at the university or in high school uh, that you strive for excellence in academics. It might be if you're an athlete that you strive in your sport. It it might be if you play an instrument that you strive to, to play that instrument the best that you know how. I have a daughter who is a senior at UNC in piano performance. And she practices hour after hour of piano. And she has a senior recital coming up. And she has to play for, I believe, 45 to an hour with no sheet music. So she's striving. She's working on it. And we can strive in different areas of our lives. Strive to be a good worker, you know, at the job. And I believe that Christians should be the best workers that we can be that we should not be giving ourselves the laziness. Or maybe you're striving in to make your business better. There are all kinds of areas in our lives where we strive, but what can happen is, is that we neglect the spiritual godliness and striving in that and desiring to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to become more Christ-like to allow him to conform us into his image. So this is what Paul is exhorting Timothy in. Hey, we labored together, and we do that because we have the Savior of the world that has saved us. So let's continue to do that, strive in this. And now in verses 11 through 16, there are these present imperatives. Uh, These are not suggestions But exhortations, this is what you need to do to commit yourself to godly exercise, to godliness in your life, to continue to grow. And we're going to see that there's nine of these that are listed in these verses. As we read in verse 11, these things command and you teach. As we go into verse 12, be an example too. Verse 13, give attention. Verse 14, do not neglect. Verse 15 that meditate on these things and give yourself entirely to them. And then in verse 16, that you're to take heed and you're to continue in. This is what you need to be doing. This is what we need to be doing, Timothy, together, to strive together in godly exercise. So let's look at these charges More specifically as verse 11 again as we read that these things command and teach. Timothy, don't get behind the pulpit to just give speculations and opinions and theories and philosophies of men. Don't just be given stories. Don't give old wise tales but you are to fearlessly bring God's word before the people. So Timothy, make sure that you are a good servant of Jesus Christ as you give good doctrine to God's people. And that's what I am to do every time that I get behind this pulpit, wherever I teach, that I am to give sound doctrine, to give truth. When it comes to ministering to my family, I am to be committed to it. And so are you. You see, I pray that none of us as parents or, or whoever that we have to, to talk to, other family members or those at work, that we don't say, well, just believe whatever it is that you want to believe. I've had more parents that have said to me, well, I just tell my kids that it's up to you. Whatever it is that you want to believe when you grow up, I'm going to let them make up their mind. And it's like, you need to be giving them truth now. Because if they don't know truth, they're going to be facing a lie. And there's so much deception that's out there. And we, of course, as we've talked about, have the responsibility to be raising our children, training them up in the ways of the Lord. We need to get the truth of God's word into them. So we are to give truth to others, to that person at work or that family member or whoever it might be that we have contact with in life. Don't just say, well, whatever you believe, that's all fine and that's wonderful. No, here's what God's Word says. And we can say it in love and we can say it in humility. And perhaps people will not be happy with that. But we fear God and not man. We show love to others as we give them truth. And as we do, that we pray that they'll receive that truth. So in verse 12, as we see that Paul continues instructing Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. First of all, let no one, no man despise your youth. The idea is don't let anyone push you around. Timothy has been with Paul for about 15 years now. And as Timothy is now in his early 30s, it is believed that there were those who were older in age, that they thought that they could push Timothy around. They would despise him. And Paul is telling Timothy that your authority is not based on your age but upon spiritual maturity and character those that who are older that you're having to deal with and instruct and teach that they may despise you timothy they're going to come against you some of them are troublemakers Some of them are are those who are coming in and bringing those myths and those fables and being legalistic. Those who are teaching, as we will see at the end of the chapter, that godliness is a means of gain, kind of a prosperity type of doctrine that they were bringing in. Those who are bringing in Gnosticism. Timothy was having to deal with all of that, and there may be those who've been there longer than Timothy, and all of a sudden Paul commissions Timothy to be the pastor, and they would despise him. Him. You've got to deal with them, Timothy. Don't let them manipulate you. Don't let them, you know, push you around. Don't let them criticize you and look down on you to where that it just uh, paralyzes you in ministry. Don't let anyone despise your youth. God wants to use you, Timothy. It's amazing. I want to encourage our young people how God wants to use you. He wants to to use you in wonderful ways. And as I look in the scripture, those who are young, those who are used of God, I think about David. David was a shepherd boy when Samuel came to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king of Israel. We know that Daniel, he was only about 16, 17 years of age, as historians believe and scholars, when he was taken away from his family. There are those who believe that his parents were killed right in front of him. He was taken off to, to Babylon to serve in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. He was just a young man, and yet he was determined that he will not defile himself because he had such a love for the Lord. I think about John, the disciple, called of Jesus, to follow after him, that fisherman. And scholars again say he was probably about 17, 18 years of age. Mary, we're going to be entering into the holiday season again, Christmas season, and we know the story how Mary, that the angel came and said, Mary, that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. And Mary was only about 16 years of age. We're going to go back to Jeremiah when we get done with the book of Revelation. Revelation to the Old Testament and in chapter one of Jeremiah, the Lord says, Jeremiah, I'm going to speak through you. And Jeremiah says, I can't speak. I'm but a youth. And the Lord says, you're going to speak. The Lord wants to use you. And as I am older now in age, I like to think I'm more mature. But I don't want to despise or discourage those who are younger in age, who are younger in the Lord, that God has called them to ministry, to serve him, to grow, to be excited about serving the Lord. I see the example of Timothy here, who was about 30 years older than Timothy. He was such a godly teacher, a godly example, an encouragement to Timothy. And and he was one that truly treated Timothy as a son in the faith, as he writes in chapter one, Timothy, you are a true son in the faith. I've had the privilege to have that in my own life. I think about my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith who has gone home to be with the Lord six years ago this month. And Pastor Chuck was such a spiritual father to so many of us who were young in the ministry. And he was such a wonderful example of, of a Bible teacher committed to teaching the word of God. An example of a godly man, of a servant, of one who is humble before the Lord. He was such a spiritual father to so many of us. Timothy, don't let anyone despise you. And this is what you're to do. You are to be an example to the believers. Your character and maturity should be an example of godliness. Timothy being an example, number one in word. In what you say. The words that you speak. It was Jesus that said that out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible talks a whole lot about our speech. You can read the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs, you know, tells the difference and and gives the contrast of those who speak foolish things and those who speak godly things, those who have godly wisdom. You know, it was sad a few years ago that there was someone, a pastor, who was well-known in Christian circles, and he would get behind the pulpit and he would say some cuss words, and he was known as the cussing pastor. And some of the younger guys thought that was cool. So we're going to do that. We're going to say crude words. We're going to say some cuss words and things like that. And it, it was sad, and it ought not to be. Paul, when he was writing to this church uh, in prison earlier, that he said in Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that you may impart grace to the hearers. When Peter was in the courtyard of Caiaphas, they arrested Jesus there at the garden. They took him to Caiaphas' house to go on trial before the religious council. And you know the story how Peter followed him in to the courtyard where Jesus was on trial. He's outside. He's warming himself at, at, the, at the fires. And, and there are those who came to him and said, hey, you're one of them. You're one of his disciples. And he's saying, no, I'm not. And, and he was getting angry. And, and he was agitated. You're one of those disciples. No, I'm not. I'm not one. And the third time, as he's denying the Lord, that one of them said, according to Matthew's narrative, You're one of his disciples, for your speech betrays you. You talk like a Galilean. As Peter is cursing and he's swearing and denying. So the question for all of us is this. How's your speech? Because your speech can betray you. If you are murmuring and complaining... You're telling dirty jokes at work, speaking crude things, or does your speech confirm the reality of Jesus in your heart? You're speaking the praises of God, thanksgiving. Your speech is seasoned with grace. Our speech will really show if if Jesus makes a difference. So, Timothy, you be an example in word. Secondly, in conduct, your behavior, your lifestyle, not only in your words, but do you walk the talk. If you say one thing, I'm a Christian, and then you live another way, like the world, don't you think that people are going to see that? Parents, don't you think that your kids are going to see that, or grandparents or grandkids? I'm a Christian. I grew up in the church. And you're living worldly or speaking worldly things? They're going to notice that. If you go to work, I'm a Christian, and you're living like the world? It ought not to be. And I've had people say to me, and I'm sure that you've had the same thing said to you, that why should I become a Christian? Because I got a family member, or I got a co-worker, or I got an old friend. They say they're a Christian, but they live just like I do. They live no differently than I do. They're no different than anybody else because they're living like the world. And it's a horrible witness... So Timothy, be an example in in word and conduct. Thirdly, in love. Jesus said that they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We are called to love the brethren, to love others. We are called to care for people. Be an example in love. Love the people, Timothy. Love them even if they don't love you. I think about how Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, the second letter, he says that the more I love you guys, the less I'm loved by you. Paul kept loving them and were to love others even, even when they don't return that love, to love others. Timothy being an example, fourthly in spirit. What does that mean? Have you ever been around a Christian? I'm sure you have. And you just sense that they have such a gentle spirit, a godly spirit. It shows in their attitude when they talk with you. You sense the Spirit of God in you, their humility. You sense their love for the Lord. I was meeting with a a man who's been in ministry for many years around Calvary Chapel, and it was the first time I met him. I've heard of him, and he came, and he spent some time with me. Just, I could sense his love and commitment to the Lord, his humility, his love for others, I could tell that he was a man that was led by the Holy Spirit. It was such a blessing to fellowship with him. You know, sometimes Christians, they just want to bowl people over. Be all hard or, you know, a know-it-all. Unfortunately, there are some Christians, they're just plain mean. And here he says, you are to be an example in spirit that gentle, kind spirit, that excellent spirit. Daniel, when he was serving in Babylon, it says they had an excellent spirit within him. And the same spirit that was in Daniel is in you and me, that people may see the gentleness, the kindness, the wisdom, the self-control, that God is working in us. They just sense the, the, the love of Christ in you, Are we that example to others in word and conduct, in love, and then in faith? All of us, our faith is tested, and in that time of testing, are we going to trust in him, knowing that he is faithful and his word and promises are true for us? And then lastly, it's purity. We hear so much today about how we need pure air and pure water and pure food. There are people protesting. There are people that are marching. There are students that are walking out of school to have protests. We need to have pure air and food and all of this. And I want clean air. I want pure, you know, water, food. But how we sadly lack Oftentimes in this area of spiritual purity. Unfortunately, even in the church. The church has abandoned the commandment to live in purity. It is to be a priority in our lives. We're to be an example in that. Paul is going to instruct Timothy next week. It's going to be an important lesson. How you treat one another in the body of Christ fathers you know older men as fathers older women as mothers the younger ladies listen as sisters with all purity and it's going to be an important message about particularly for you younger guys that is perhaps you're dating that 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 young lady you're to first of all treat her as a sister in the lord with all purity it's an important message to so we'll talk more about it next time and the implication here is he's being exhorted to continue in these things you are to continue to be an example in these things in this way continue to labor in these things let's labor together in verse 13 till i come Give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Not only to continue to be an example, but continue in the word. And I personally believe that one of the most neglected practices in the church corporately and in the life of believers personally is continuing in reading and in doctrine. Listen, there is power in the word of God. It is alive and it is powerful, Hebrews declares. And you know this to be true. But if any of us neglect the continual reading and studying of the word of God, you will become weak spiritually and your walk will be weak. Give attention to this, to reading, to doctrine. Verse 15 is going to say that your progress may be evident to all. And as I said last week, read your Bible every day. Have devotions. Be in the Word of God. Feed yourself spiritually with the Word of God. It's an exhortation for you and for me. The word progress there in verse 15, it might be translated priority. As a pastor, Timothy was to continue to labor and being an example into the word of God so that the whole church could see his spiritual progress and be blessed and benefited from it. It would be an example to them concerning their spiritual progress. Warren Worsby, he said that no pastor can lead his people where he has not been himself. And that is so true. We see it in the scriptures. Exodus chapter 32, verse 34, you might want to mark it down and read it. The Lord says to Moses, the man of God, that Moses, go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Let me say it to you one more time Moses, go lead the people. To the place of which I've spoken to you. Moses was leading two and a half million people. Now lead them to the place that I've spoken to you. Listen, parents, whoever you are, how are you going to be able to lead if the Lord isn't speaking to you, if you're not allowing Him to show you, to grow you through the Word of God? How can you lead? How can you lead? How can you take your family and your kids or your grandkids or other family members, those who you minister to, how can you show them where to go if you haven't been spoken to by the Lord? How can I lead this church if the Lord isn't speaking to me through the word of God? If I'm not sensitive to his voice, being led by him. Lead the people to the place of which I've spoken to you. Allow the Lord to speak to you through the word of God as you seek him, as you go to him. Give attention to this. This It's of priority and importance. And then verse 14, don't neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Not only give attention to the word of God, but don't neglect the gift of God. In the parable of the talents that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25, we don't have time to go over all all of it, but the parable speaks of a man traveling to a far country and he would give his servants talents. One servant he gave five talents, another two talents, another he gave one talent. And when the man comes back, they were to give an account on how they invested the talents that were given to them. The ones who invested It was told to them, well done, good and faithful servant. They did their work promptly. They did it with perseverance. They invested. They were ready to give an account to their master. And the parable stresses the need to serve the king because he is coming back. And we will give an account of our lives as we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. That is 2 Corinthians 5 Romans chapter 14, it's the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. We're not going to give an account of our sins because Jesus took the judgment for our sins on Calvary. Praise God. But we will give an account of our lives, what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. And we will then be rewarded accordingly. There are rewards that are to be given to you and to me. And what has been entrusted to us Well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to rule over 10 cities, and you're going to rule over five cities. And when we rule and reign with him, we're going to be given responsibility and rewards. The Bible is very clear on that. What has been entrusted to you? You see, God gives spiritual gifts to us believers to be used for him. For the benefit of the kingdom and the body of Christ. Keep in mind it is the Lord that gifts us. It is he that calls us in this life. Gives us opportunities. He equips us to do his work. God has something for each one of us to do. He wants to use you. And he will enable you for whatever he has for you. He will gift you. And remember that any ministry that we do for the Lord is not a work of the flesh. It is a work of the Spirit. And he will gift you the gift of the gifts of the Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, as he has a ministry for you, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them now interesting Timothy's gift we are not told directly in our text what is being referred to but judging from the context I believe is pretty clear that it's being spoken of the gift of teaching. Timothy, you know the gift that God has entrusted to you, given to you by prophecy with laying on of the hands of the eldership. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes, I remind you, Timothy, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying of, on my hands. So perhaps Acts chapter 16, 15 years previous to this, Paul and the elders in Lystra laid hands on Timothy, recognizing the call of God in his life to pastor and to teach. I think that Paul gives us a little hint that perhaps Timothy was a bit reluctant to use the gift that God had given to him, to teach the flock of God. God, don't neglect it. Stir it up, Timothy. Timothy. I urge you, when I went to Macedonia, that you remain here in Ephesus. It's a daunting task. You're going to have to teach. I command for you to give sound doctrine. You're going to have to deal with these guys. But don't neglect the gift. Stir it up. It's like maybe perhaps Timothy was saying within himself, I don't know about this. This is going to be hard. Timothy had been faithful to to Paul in ministry. He had been through some difficult times with Paul. Maybe he's got a little bit of fear. Maybe he's just tired. So the question, once again, is what about us? What about you? Do we come up with excuses? God wants to gift you. He wants to use you. This is an important word for all of us, for me. Don't be passive in cultivating God's gift in you. If it's to teach, then teach. If it's service, then minister. If it's the gift of ministry, service, serving others. If it's giving, then give. If it's exhorting, whatever the Lord has entrusted you with. Some of you, I I see that God has gifted you many talents with your hands, Spiritual gifts and teaching, use them. We need you. God needs you. We're here for such a time as this in the days in which we're living in that the church is getting weaker and culture is getting more darker. Use those gifts. Stir it up. Don't neglect it. He wants to do a wonderful work in you and through you. And meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. That your progress again may be evident to all. Timothy being told to devote himself totally to ministry that has been given to him. To God's word. Give yourself to godliness. And being an example to the believers. Give attention to doctrine. Keep serving with the gift that God has given to you. That your progress may be evident to all. Again it means to advance. People are seeing that you're growing. Maturing. That is the work that God wants to do as we give ourselves to him. So question number three. Are you progressing spiritually? Are you maturing? Are you moving forward? Are you advancing or not? You're not because there's a lack of giving yourself to godliness. You're either either growing or you're regressing. You can't stay neutral. Are you giving yourself to godliness? Is it evident? Are you desiring to grow and give yourself to godliness, exercising, doing these things? And then in verse 16, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Take heed to yourself. He's not being told, Timothy, to focus on self or exalt self or it's all about self. The Bible says we're to die to self. What he's saying is you take care of yourself spiritually. And as a pastor or any pastor or anyone that's serving in the body of Christ, we can get so busy with helping others you know, and doing ministry that our spiritual walk is neglected. Timothy is being told to take spiritual inventory. Timothy, you're not going to grow and be effective in ministering to others unless you're cultivating that deep personal relationship with Christ. God must work in us before he can work through us. You get to continue in truth. And make sure, though, you're staying close to the Lord. Take heed to yourselves. Paul told the Ephesians elders that. Then minister to the flock of God and as you minister to others they can come to salvation they can see the progress you're moving forward and that will encourage them to move forward so are you moving forward are you giving yourself to him are you having devotions you know there's a thousand books in christian bookstores on the secret to godliness there's no secret folks there's no secret how we can exercise godliness is told to us here in the verses that we just read. Cultivate that deep personal relationship with the Lord. Spend time with him. I, I just want to tell you this story, and then we're going to go to the communion table. In Exodus chapter 33, I think it's illustrated so wonderfully there. Moses, the man of God who pastored two and a half million people, he was more busy than, than any of us. Can you imagine pastoring two and a half million people and didn't have a building? Out there in the wilderness, you know what Moses did? He took his tent, walked outside the camp. This is not a little camp, this is two and a half million people. And he said he went far from the camp. And those who sought the Lord, they got up and they followed. And Moses set up his tent called the Tabernacle of Meeting. And there he met with the Lord, and the people watched. And he met face-to-face with God. And God spoke to him face-to-face as a man speaks to a friend. And the people could see that. Moses, who had more things that he had to do, responsible for a whole nation, and yet he knew the importance of folding up his tent and getting to a place where he can meet with the Lord and talk with the Lord and fellowship with the Lord. So do you have a tabernacle of meeting And you might be here today saying, you know, it's been far and few between to really spend time with the Lord. I get so busy, I get caught up. I I have excuses. It's not too late. Start today. Listen, it's gonna be a nice afternoon. It's gonna be a nice next couple days. Maybe, perhaps, maybe, I'm not saying you have to, maybe take a little time. I'm just gonna get away from the football game. I'm going to get away from whatever. I'm going to go take a walk and I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to spend some time with the Lord because I got decisions to make. I got this challenge before me at these problems that are going on in my family. I need provision. I'm just going to take my Bible and I'm going to read through the Psalms. I'm going to read through a book of the Bible. I'm going to be encouraged in the Lord. Take even a pad and a pencil and just as the Lord begins to speak to you because I guarantee you as you do that to get away to your tabernacle of meeting that the Lord's going to show up he's going to show up and he's going to speak to you through the word and as you seek him he's going to bring comfort and as you do that continually daily spend time with him You're going to be exercising godliness. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these words given to us. And we all get weighed down with cares of life and busyness of everything going on. But, Lord, our priority is to give ourselves to godliness, to continue in, to be an example, to take heed to ourselves spiritually. So, Lord, may we take note of that and work these things out in our lives. And as we're getting ready to come to the communion table, that is the Christian that takes a communion, the believer in remembering what Jesus did for us in this new covenant that we belong to, a covenant based on sacrifice and love. Jesus allowed his body to be broken for us and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. It is for the believer. It's not just for if you belong to the church. If you're a believer, the communion table is for you. But I want to address, if you're here, you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ. That Jesus came and died for your sins because he loves you. That you might be forgiven. made atonement for your sins because your sin has separated you from God. And Jesus Christ went to that cross and all of your sins were placed upon him. And he cried out, it is finished. I paid the price. I did the work. Believe on me. Recognize that he's the savior of the world. There is none other. That he alone died for your sins. None other. He alone rose from the grave. He's alive. None other. But will you come and say that I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior? That's what brings salvation and forgiveness and right relationship with the Father. Coming in in faith. You can do that right now. And you can pray that Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for my sins. You took my sins upon yourself. You made atonement for my sins. Forgive me. And I believe you're alive. Your are speaking to my heart. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I turn to you now. I surrender my life to you. And I thank you for forgiving me and saving me and bringing me into the family of God in this new beginning. And I want to know you and walk with you. And I want to exercise godliness in Jesus' name. And if you sincerely prayed that as we're going to take communion and then we're going to end the service but there's going to be a prayer team up front will you come up and receive prayer because we want to encourage you and bless you and for all of us as we just continue in an attitude of worship as the communion elements are handed out that you you just hang on to it as it's passed to you and we'll partake of it together there's two cups you separate them The bread is gluten-free, just in case there's any concern on that. And we're just going to continue to worship, and then we'll take a communion together.